0: You're listening to Craftalytical, and I'm your host, Andy. As I sit here at ten past two in the morning, listening to the backdrop of everyone else in the house snoring, including the dog, I realise that my sleep patterns and how I sleep are very different from other people. Unlike most people, I remember most of my dreams. That's just how it's always been. I've always been a a vivid dreamer. It surprises me when other people say they never remember theirs. And I don't really know what to do with that. Like most people, I have regular dreams or themes of dreams. And I really want them to mean something. I want something to come out of the chaos. There are so many dreams that I wake up from that leave me funky all day and it feels like my brain is trying to tell me something. In all of my research i found that dreams are still a great mystery I'd love for some clever scientist to be able to tell me why I dream the way I do. Why they make no sense, but make all of the sense at the same time. Researchers don't really understand why we dream. They know when in our sleep cycle we dream they know roughly how long it lasts, but they can't say why. The best guess is it's our brain throwing up random images that are somewhat linked to the filing system that is happening, that is a mystery to all of us. They're supposedly linked to the struggles, and the thought patterns that we have. But of course, our brains work on so many different levels. So how do we know what our brains are trying to tell us? I will always be mystified by the human brain. For all that we know about it, there's 90% more that we don't. We do know that most mammals dream, including dolphins and porpoises, and I find that amazing. There must be a purpose to it if so many creatures, including the human species, have developed this ability, but what is it? I often watch my dog dream, my rats dream, watching my kids dream is bizarre. One of my kids has the same very vivid dreaming that I do. When she was very young it came in the form of nightmares or nightmares for her and her experience. But really now now that she can articulate articulate herself better, it is the same kind of very vivid dreaming this bizarre storytelling that flows from one place to another. I don't often magically appear somewhere I walking down the street and then suddenly I'm in my living room. I don't have those dreams. They all kind of make sense. I had a nap today. I've not been feeling well. And my dream from that nap has me wildly confused. Like most people, there are recurring themes in my dreams. But again, they don't make much sense. I've never had a flying dream. I've never had the dreams that most people do. And I wonder why. Most of my dreams recently have revolved around viewing houses to move into. Or someone else has just moved into a house. Pretty much every dream I remember for the last six months or so involves a new house. I had one dream where I went to a house party at my first proper boyfriend's house. His mum was hosting and he was there with his wife and it was all very odd. But it turns out there was a whole part to this house that I never knew about. They'd extended up into the loft and made a massive pub-like area. It was way bigger than the actual house, but it made sense. I've always known that that place had a decent sized loft. It was honestly a lot bigger than it should have been, but otherwise kind of made sense. I've also had dreams where I was looking for a new flat, And it turned out this flat went on forever. There were rooms that I found that no one else did, all fully furnished, all beautiful, with great lighting. But nonetheless, I'm so confused as to why I dream about houses being bigger than I think they are. And that's been a theme for a long time. There are always parts to this dream which involve running away or fighting something and while I had this nap earlier on today that's what it was but there was more to it. I was with my mum and dad they were alive and still together And again, this has been something I've dreamt a few times since they both died two years ago. They had just bought a new house, and it was a four-bedroom house, that actually, on closer inspection, after they had moved in, I found two more bedrooms in the basement. Down narrow, winding hallways, I found a bedroom that had three single beds in it, another one that had a double bed. And actually, now I'm recounting it, there was a third bedroom. So it was a seven bedroom house. And the third bedroom had a double bed and a single bed in it. All of them had windows. The curtains were closed, but it was natural daylight coming out. So I find all of these rooms and I go and find my parents who are sat down very calmly watching TV and I say to them, I've just found more rooms. You've managed to buy a house for the price of a four bedroom house that has seven bedrooms. And my parents just weren't fussed. This didn't seem like news to them. My mum calmly said, no, no, it was a four-bedroom house, but actually, no, it wasn't. It was a seven-bedroom house. And both of them just weren't impressed by these extra rooms. I was. So I decided to look into this a little bit more. I go out of the house And I see that it's at the top of a very steep hill. It's the last house in a terrace of houses. All the same width. But all of the other houses along this row are much deeper. They have much more to the back of the house than my mum and dad's does. I come to the conclusion that at some point my mum and dad's house has lost the back of it but not the cellar underneath. So these houses next to my mum and dad's, the whole row must be 10 or 12 bedrooms. Because they're at least three times as deep. And that would make sense given how far the tunnels to those rooms I found came. As I peer over the fence on the side of the road to look at my mum and dad's garden I can see where those windows are and it marries up with the houses next to it. I see though that they have a shorter garden. Most of it is completely unusable unusable because it has this really steep bank but their garden is a little bit shorter. There appears to be A building that looks like it's a cafe where the end of their garden should be. It's not attached to the house. I assume that someone in the past of owning the house has sold a bit of land. I go into the cafe and there's my mum and my nan. They're walking up a very steep flight of stairs to a counter to be served. This counter sits at the bottom of what would have been my mum and dad's garden and the stairs must be the last bit of the hill. Seems really odd to see my elderly grandmother and my mum who died from COPD climbing these stairs as if they're nothing. I try to follow them But by the time I get to the top of the stairs, they're already on their way down. They've got their drinks and they're going to go and find a seat. I give up on the idea of getting myself a drink and try to follow them. But at the bottom of these stairs, I lose sight of them. And I think, that's okay. I'm going to have a look at what else is here. There are several counters exactly the same as the one at the top of the stairs. But they all have something slightly different. I'm peering in each of them. I hear a train, or rather feel it under my feet. So there must be a a tube station, a subway, underneath the bottom of what would have been my mum and dad's garden. As I'm peering at the pastries and other things and seeing nothing that I really fancy trying, a a guy comes up to me. He uses my name and asks me some questions as if he knows me. He asks me how I am and what I'm doing there today. He's charming, but I, I don't know him. He gets called off by someone who obviously does know him and... I take my leave. I head out. It's not the only time I see this guy. I see this guy everywhere I go and everywhere I go he's friendly. I realise he's he's trying to win me over. He eventually asks me out on a date and we go, we hit it off. And over a period of time in this dream we fall in love. We take train journeys with his family. We go to work the same route so we get the same train and it's beautiful for a time. It turns out that I'm of a lower station in life than him and despite us being desperately in love we have to split up because his family feel we're not a good match. I spend the summer working at a place that turns out to be a retreat that he and his peers go to. Think opulent Roman villas with hot spring pools and baths, stadium-like seats that you only see in the Colosseum in Rome. Marble everywhere, pristine. But there are monsters. Monsters. He falls in love with a beautiful woman who turns out to be an ancient god. She separates herself, her torso, from her snake tail and floats, her top half, surrounded by blue lightning, towards him. They mate. It's nothing gratuitous, but we all know what's happening. Once she's done, she floats herself to her tail reattaches and then dissipates. The spell is broken for all of us and we run. Now we know there are monsters and that many gods are real and they rise up from the depths. I end up from there working on a barge, clearing rubbish from waterways. It's a post-apocalyptic world and despite the danger, it's the only way to survive. Climbing off the heavily armoured barge and clambering up piles of debris to clear them can be deadly. Sharp objects like rebar and glass, not to mention unexploded ordinances in our fight against these gods. On this trip, many die doing the job others from pirate barges after recovery recoverable ammunition and explosives and valuable scrap metals. This pirate attack is harder to deal with after losing so many crew. Bolting the tank-like doors shut and sitting in the gunner position, praying f- I re- praying for a safe return, I fire. We get away but soon become trapped in a flotilla of debris. We can't free ourselves, and it's not safe to get out without help. It's dark, the water is deep and dangerous, and we don't know where we are. We call for help and wait. Hours pass. Eventually, help arrives. A Bedford truck with crew guide us out and into safety. The driver is that ex-boyfriend, the man who started it all. We are taken back to the retreat, now much smaller due to the barricades around areas known to be entrances for the gods and monsters. Areas controlled, explosions have closed off. He tells me his side of things as we rush through the corridors towards the command centre. I'm not impressed. But it's just how things were in the before and in the now. We are sent to a house outside of the city. There are 30 or so of us in this four-bedroom place. It's big for its style, but it's still quite close quarters for us all. This time we're setting up for an ambush. The problem is, most of these people have never seen what can come. There are podcasters, journalists and People that are just like I was before it all started. All talking a big game. Wanting weapons they have no idea how to use and no business being anywhere near. There's a larp'er demanding a machine gun because that's what her character would use. I have enough time in my dream to think... This new world has sent her utterly mad. And then the howling starts. Waves of wolves and giant hogs, the size of rhinos, mutants, and minor gods, assault us from every angle. It gets so bad, especially because of those wildly unprepared, accidentally sabotaging us. I think this is the end despite surviving everything so far. A tall chap with with ginger hair and a beard hides me. He hands me the trigger to an IED and asks me to wait for the signal. I know he's making the call. I know I'll die. I'm calm. I'm at peace. At least I'm going to take some of these monsters with us. That's less for any of the other survivors to deal with. The signal comes, I pull the trigger, but the IED is a dud. I try to set it off in other ways, but it fails. All we can do is keep fighting. Somehow, though, we get through it. It's over for now. It's time to get dressed up and go to the celebration dinner for my dad and his army buddies. They're all getting promotions, which means a bigger pension. My mum isn't there. Just dad, me, and my brother, which seems normal. We're in our finest. We arrive in fancy cars to a fancy restaurant. I sit talking outside with my dad's CEO. Most of these people are actually people I know in real life, including dad's CEO. His CEO is talking to me about the reality of dad's situation. Despite what my dad has been saying, he's not guaranteed a promotion. For whatever reason, his CO says he's not there yet. He's not earned it. I have no idea if dad knows or has, and has been covering it or if he's unaware. As I go to ask the CO, we see a funeral procession, a fallen officer. We pause. We salute. We then solemnly walk into the restaurant without me ever asking if dad knew he wasn't going to get that promotion. And that's where I wake up. Now, I know this has been 15 minutes or so of someone else telling you their dream story. But I hope you understand that this is an average dream for me. This kind of detail and length, this kind of flowing story that if you take each of the parts doesn't fit together, but somehow my brain treats it like a movie and it does. It flows from one point to the other. It made perfect sense for each of these things to happen my brain has given a reason for the story to move to the next part, to to the next idea that is floating. Monsters and fighting things, narrow winding corridors and extra rooms are all things that feature pretty heavily. That or being around people that I haven't seen for years. And there's often a reason why we've not seen each other for years. We've grown apart. We're not right for each other in this phase of our lives. Friends, family, doesn't matter. But often, they're the person they were back then and I'm the person I am now. Less likely to put up with their bullshit. Or to try and be nice when they're insulting me. It always ends the same. It always ends with me reaffirming my decisions at the time. Those dreams are weird. They leave a funny feeling in me for days because I don't want to revisit that part of my life. It's like being re-traumatized at times. But also, it's a pretty positive thing. I wake up being more certain of the choices I've made in the past. I'm not sure why I felt it so important to share this story with you, other than dreams are weird. They lead us to a funny place. Maybe that's actually what they're meant to do. We're meant to remember... And we're, we're meant to have our ideas reaffirmed. Or it's meant to make us think more consciously about ourselves and the world around us. Maybe that's the point. Our brains have unconsciously picked up on something, some lesson, some idea, some creative spark And it's our brain's way of putting it in front of us to pick up, to study, and to move forward with. Dreams don't mean anything. I'm not sure that there is actual symbolism in our dreams. I once had a book that you could leave through and kind of I dreamt of a bat upside down in the corner of a room and it means that I need to hop for four hours when I wake up. But maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's not about the symbolism. It's more about our brains trying to send us signals that our conscious minds are just a little bit too stupid to understand It's about decoding, trying to work out what lessons we can learn. In this dream that I've described for you, I think ultimately my brain is trying to say that I think my parents are okay now that they're gone. They found some kind of peace that they didn't have in real life. That there's always something that other people don't notice. That those rooms are about me looking for the something else and others missing it. The idea that this love of my life is taken away reaffirms that Disney lied to us. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Disney lied to everyone. There is no Prince Charming that's going to come along and rescue the princess. That's not how it works. It also reaffirms that I'm a fighter. All of the things that that dream threw at me, and I survived, I fought, I kept a calm head. I was ready to sacrifice myself for other people. That I can do anything I put my mind to. And sometimes there are some questions that we shouldn't ask. We don't need the answers to them. And that brings me a level of peace. I've had questions for my parents probably all of my life, but after they died, there were a lot of questions that were left unanswered, either questions that were raised while they were alive or questions that came up after they died. It's funny the truth that comes out when someone's not there anymore and people start comparing stories. And I think there are some questions that the answers don't matter to. It's hard to let those go, but I don't think there's any peace in getting the answers to those questions. I think sometimes we just have to look at something like that and say, it is what it is. And as useless as it is, it's time to move on from that question. And I think that's something we should all learn from. Ask the question. That's fine, but be ready for the answer. And also be ready for the fact that you don't need to ask, ask the question in the first place. You can find peace. And you can move forward. And there are some people that even if I had asked... They wouldn't have answered, not truthfully. They wouldn't have wanted to seem less than. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been interesting. If you like my work, you can send a one-off donation to my PayPal or Linktree. You can become a member of of my coffee page, and you can um, find me on YouTube. All of those links will be in the description. But thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. And hopefully, I'll speak to you on the next uh, episode.